0: Hello and welcome to a brand new Catching Up With where we'll be chatting to the people who played a part in Watford's history whether on or off the pitch. My name is John and you're getting this podcast via From the Rooker End. But for this new series, we're joined by fellow Watford supporter and regular book writer, Lionel Burnie. Hello, John. And Lionel, these podcasts came about because we want to speak to these players who we've known from the past, either as fans or either as uh, your job as a, as a journalist and writer uh, to get to know maybe something new about them or just to, just to see how they are.
1: Yeah, there's always an element of gamble and risk of, with these because... It relies on somebody being a good talker and being able to be introspective in a way, talk freely and openly. And some are very good at that, and some are not. And often it depends on what point in their career they're at. A lot of people who are still involved in football, in in some level, are still quite guarded because they never quite know. You know, you, you never quite know what the future will bring. Whereas people who've kind of left the game, I'm sort of talking slightly generally here, but tend to open up, or maybe as events. Fade into the rear view mirror. People open up a bit more about them.
0: Our last episode, uh, we spoke with Sir Nigel Gibbs, uh, and coming up in a future episodes, we're going to be speaking to A.D. Boothroyd. You know, when you keep getting knocked back and, and getting beat, uh, it takes a bit out of you as, as a group. But but we persevered
2: and, and and persisted and kept going. But in the end, we just you know we just didn't have enough. And what happens then when you're successful is everybody sort of vulture vultures look at your players,
0: your best players, and off they go. Uh, but in this episode, Lionel caught up with Andy Tyler.
1: Hello there, Andy. How are you? Nice Hello, to nice meet to you. you. Nice to see you. Eastleigh Football Club. Yeah, it's, uh, Home. It's, yeah, it's not too bad today, actually, because uh,
2: the weather's a little bit better than it has <laughs> been, to be fair. The last couple of weeks has been horrendous here, so it's uh, just
1: nice to have a little bit of uh, drier weather, to be, f- to be fair. So this is uh, where you work, Monday to Friday, is it? Where do the players train? We actually train just across the road, so uh, it's
2: not too bad the players meet here. Have a bit of breakfast uh, about nine thirty, and start doing their activation in the gym, which is uh, a new. This is a new, like, new area for here, offices and a gym, and then we're off to training at half past ten. So, yeah, it's all here for them, to be honest. So where should we go? Where where are we going to have a chat? We can either have a chat outside in the dugout, or we can have a chat in, indoors in my office. Entirely up to you. I'm. I I'm, I'm think. The, I think
1: the gaffer's office is going to be a bit warmer, isn't it? It's. Yeah. It's not that warm, is it? No, it's not. We'll, we'll go inside. Yeah, cheers.
0: Why Andy, do you think? You know, last podcast with Sir Nigel, a man who'd been at the club forever uh, and seen a lot. Why someone like Andy, who was uh, well, basically uh, around the club when it wasn't the greatest of times?
1: Well, the honest answer to that is that
0: I had to be down
1: in Southampton and. Um... Hessenthaler was, and as we speak, still is manager of Eastleigh. Eastleigh's on the way to Southampton. (laughs) And so I called him and said, would you mind me dropping in? And he was, yeah, fine, what do you want to do? Well, I'd like to talk to you about your time at Watford. And he's always fascinated me for several reasons. One, he came to professional football late. He was 26 years old when he came out of non-league, signed for Watford, who were in the second division, now the championship, slotted into that team pretty seamlessly really and within a year or so was, you couldn't imagine that team without him he was a, an extremely hard working player not perhaps the most gifted but he had plenty about him he was, he was all about commitment, energy, running but there was more to his game than that and then when he left he left under a bit of a cloud because the team had just got relegated. Graham Taylor and co. had come back in to try and save the team from relegation. Hessenthaler was the team's captain, but he ended up leaving at the end of that season. And there was a sense from the supporters, and perhaps this, isn't, uh, perhaps this is a little unfair to generalise and, and, and say all the supporters felt this, but there was a sense that, well, the, the rat's leaving the sinking ship. And I've always been interested in that because as a footballer, Hessenthaler had come into the game late he was trying to earn a living, obviously, from the game. Watford were changing and evolving. They were they were gonna basically basically be regrouping in uh, the third tier and trying to get back up again. And Graham Taylor was was reintroducing a lot of the things from his previous era, and one of those things was he wanted all the players to live close by. And Hessenthaler with one or two others, maybe maybe four or five others, actually, all lived round, right around the M25. And um, Hessenthaler was asked to move, and, and he didn't want to do that. Meanwhile, Gillingham were much closer to his home and were offering him a sort of longer contract and more security. And I've always thought, even at the time, I thought, if I was in that situation, I would probably do what Andy Hessenthaler did. And he went on and played... Even more games for Gillingham than he had done for Watford, and I think he played nearly 300 for Watford. So he's just a, a player who gave everything every time he put a Watford shirt on. But then when he turned his back on the club for what I think were understandable reasons, he was given quite a hard time by quite a lot of the supporters and uh, if you saw the Watford-Gillingham games this following season he was booed and there was a
0: chant that, that had a swear word in it
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, and I always thought that was a bit harsh because he gave everything when he was here
0: So this is uh, Lionel catching up uh, with Andy Hessentiler where we, we talk about his time at Watford and that exit in the late 90s uh, and also his life since leaving Vicarage Road
2: you might see him in a bit Richard, Richard Hill. Oh,
1: yeah. He's here,
2: so I told oh, him. Oh, yeah. I was, have... I was
1: seeing him. You've inter- uh, interviewed him before, well, haven't you? He was a great interview, yeah. yeah. I mean, he... Um, the Bassett days,
2: was it? It was you the said? Bassett
1: days, and um, yeah, he didn't last too long with, with <laughs> Harry. He was shipped out. Well, the story you told me was that he was joining a first division club, and he didn't realise a step up from the fourth division he went from Northampton to Watford and uh, probably took it a bit easy over the over the summer but that was something I wanted to talk to you about that's, that step up but the one thing that struck me there you've introduced me to your assistant manager a Goal coach, coach, goalkeeping head coach head of recruitment, head of recruitment. Uh, take a seat and I'll you know, how does this differ to when you were last playing on league or first playing non-league, Redbridge Forest. Has non-league football changed a lot from those days to this? Because this is a full-time setup, isn't it?
2: Yeah, no, it's massive change. You know, when I was at Redbridge Forest, it was part-time and two nights a week plus the day job that I did, which was on the building. So, I think majority of the teams now in in our league are are pretty pretty much full-time. You know, it's the fifth tier of football. I think you'll you'll find now that there's a lot more players that have played in the league will. Will drop down and, and quite happy to drop down and play at this level. So, the teams are, are getting you know stronger. Um, the clubs are financially better. Some do get themselves into a mess, uh, as we've known this year. Hartlepool are having problems off the pitch. But, you know, some are being uh, you know perhaps run not the right way or overspent and, and then cause themselves problems. And I've got to say, this football club, the, you know speaking to the chairman, and I've only been here since the start of the season, it's uh, run tremendously well and. Uh, you know i think uh, we're pretty much spoilt to be honest
1: so tell me what it was like when you were starting out because you're you were on the books at Charlton Athletic or you, you didn't yeah, quite
2: was, yeah. Yeah. when i left school i got uh, you know uh, got into a, got an apprenticeship uh, on the building uh, doing plastering and but I was playing. I was playing non-league football at the time. Playing. Uh, I was actually playing at that time for Dartford in their youth youth setup. I got an opportunity to go into Chelten really on a trial basis, which I took up. Um, and eventually they they offered me like a non-contract, which that meant going in every day. But at the time when I did it, my, my, I remember my dad wasn't too happy about it because I just got myself he, uh, help get me an apprenticeship in terms of on the building and, and plastering and. I pretty much said, oh, I want to give it up. Give it up for a year to go and see if I can make it as a professional footballer. And uh, that's what I did. He wasn't happy, but uh, I just felt that it's an opportunity to try and prove myself to be, you know, I wanted to be a footballer. But in the end, it didn't work out because at that time, Cholton were having financial problems. But I had a good year there in terms of the youth set up and the reserves. But I'll be honest, when the decision was made by Lenny Lawrence, who was the manager at the time, it was the right decision. And actually probably done me a favour because I didn't really feel I was perhaps ready for professional football at that stage at uh, 18, 19. He probably helped me in, in that respect, and uh, I went away and uh, went back to the back to the original job in terms of getting back onto the plastering and the building, and I ended up carrying on doing that and playing non-league football for a team called uh, Corinthians, not Corinthians Casuals, it was Corinthians out uh, in Kent in a place called Falkham. So we, I played out there and I was working for them as well. We a, that was a building company. Uh, And then that's where it really all started because um, I remember playing in a cup game against Dartford and and Peter Taylor was the manager at the time. I must have had a decent game because I got a phone call from there secretary, would you come and play for us? Peter would like you to come and play for us. And that's what I did and and went on from there, really. Signed for Dartford, played with Peter. He left to go to Enfield. I ended up then going to Redbridge Forest under John Steele and then got my break at Watford through... Peter Taylor going to Watford uh, as number two to Steve Perriman so was, you know, Peter's played a big part of my footballing career to be fair
1: Redbridge Forest obviously doesn't exist anymore they merged with Dagenham and yeah. became Dagenham and Redbridge I think that club now is probably about five or six different clubs because Redbridge was already a merger wasn't it yeah, It was a, it, it Leytonstone Layton, yeah. and Ilford
2: yeah it was yeah and Ilford so there's been a big change around there it's just it's just Seems strange that John's John's still there. He's had a, I know he went away and came back, he went to Lou, and he's had other clubs. And uh, but it's just amazing. And I was I was watching TV last night. They did a game at, uh, at home to raise money. I think and uh, it was against West Ham. And John was on the telly last night. So it's was, uh, it was amazing that he's the amount of years he's been there. I know he went away and come back, but he's been a, a big servant to that football club. And as you say, it's been quite a few different names over the years.
1: Redbridge Forest, you helped get into what is now National League, um, so this level of football, how has it changed in uh, whatever it is now, um, 27 years since you last played at this level or when you you played at this level, because obviously you played played for Dover, I mean your career went on quite a a long time didn't it, but uh, thinking back to then, I mean the, the level now it seems to be a lot higher, if nothing else in terms of fitness.
2: Yeah, I think everything they do now is so professional. It's um, you know, I've never known anything like it. As I say I, I, when I went to, first went to, to Dover, which obviously came out of the league, and went to after retiring at Barnet as a player, I ended up going down to Dover. We'd been on the phone after, after I'd finished playing at Gillingham. I had, a, I had a, a letter from the chairman of Dover would I consider coming down to be their manager? At that time, I had an offer to go and play for Barnet, carry on playing. So I thought, well, you know, listen. Thanks for the thanks for the offer, but at the moment I'm just going to carry on playing and see where I'll go from there. But want to get back into management, and when I finished at Barnet, I had the, the the call again, and uh, and I went down to Dover then and uh, met the uh, met the chairman and the, and the directors, and they sold it to me. To be fair, in terms of where they want to see the club going, but as soon as I walked into there, it was like it was non-league. It was it was a non-league football club, and I just tried to at that stage try and bring that professional mentality into the football club the best way I could financially as well and we was able to do that in the end to be fair the, the chairman was great and uh, two promotions down and, and got him into the conference south and missed out in the playoffs and then I ended up leaving to go back to Gillingham and to be fair Chris who's who's gone down in there he's down there now and he's done a fantastic job but just a difference now in terms of the way they do things it's it's fifth tier but there's not a lot of difference between League Two and, and the National Conference the way teams teams do things now. I mean, like I say, we've got a head of recruitment here, uh, we've got analysts, we've got you know, never had anything like that back in the days of Redbridge Forest. We had a tea lady, we had a bucket man, we had a, we did have a physio, but you know it was nothing like to the way the game's changed now. To be honest,
1: and yet we don't see that many players making the step up th- three four divisions like you did back in 91, I mean Jamie Vardy is obviously the yeah. the obvious one in, in recent years but the gap's probably narrowed down but maybe there isn't the opportunity for players to jump up several rungs of the ladder I mean thinking back to 91 when you were at Redbridge, I mean that was a a big jump from yeah. Redbridge Forest to Watford, what was it initially like because you came in and within a very short space of time you, you were in the first team
2: Yeah was, it was unbelievable really I didn't, at the time when when I agreed to to go to Watford, it was a case of right. I'm going to have a go at this now because I remember the phone call from Peter Taylor. he Just said, look, you know, I know you're you're 20 you're 26, and it's late in your in your in your life, and then you. But do you still want to be a pro? And then straight away, I, without any hesitation, yeah, I do, because I, I I had I knew that I had something behind me if it didn't work out uh, in terms of a, a career, and I could go back to it. So I thought I'm going to I'm going to have a go at this and. Uh, I think that helped because I knew that you know um, what I was going into is is something I've always wished to do and appreciate it, and I think that's why I, I probably played as long as I did because just appreciated what 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 I've got now, you know, and uh, what i life you know to be involved in it's something you've always wanted to do. You're now doing it as a job, but I remember, as I say, going into into the first week of um, and meeting characters like Peter Nicholas and Trevor Putney, you know, your Gary Porters, your Nigel Gibbs, you know, and go go through them really the, the, the characters and Jamesy David James uh, you know there's, there was loads there that um, sort of made me feel welcome and especially Trevor I mean Trevor Putney I, I still speak to him. he lives in Spain now he's been there for quite some years um, still the bloke he was laughing and joking and making everybody laugh and uh, a great character so he sort of took me under, the, under his wing really because you know, he came out in non-league as well he came out I think when he was about 21 he turned pro uh, so he he was the one that sort of helped me. Steve Butler was obviously there who I knew anyway. Um, we travelled in together, and we met Trevor, we met Nico as well. So, yeah, it was, it was as much as I was tw- 26 years old, I was still very nervous going there. It was like, you know, it was probably like an 18-year-old going in there with this, this group of people. And I remember the first um, first training session that uh, I was quiet and obviously nervous and. Uh, they made me feel wel- welcome. Obviously, the, the, the stick and banter that was flying around the dressing room was unbelievable. I never knew anything like it, but uh, glad you gradually got used to that. And um, I mean, I've come out and non league. They're looking at me a little bit. Is he good enough? Is you know can he? So you just you had to from day one stamp your mark on it to say, show these that I'm, I should be here because I'm good enough. And they played Brighton that weekend. The first week of training, they played Brighton away, and I was, um, I was basically. I wasn't on the bench. It was I don't know. Was it? Was it seventeen plus five subs? Then? No, wasn't it wasn't. It'd be three subs. I was. I was probably. I was fourteenth 14th, 14th man or fifteenth man at the time. And uh, uh, but it was just good to be involved um, in that game. We, went, we played at the Goldstone, We won one nil. Steve Butler scored. I remember it. Uh, and then we had Everton in the cup on the Tuesday night. Steve Stevie Perriman pulled me and said, "Look, you've started." <laughs> Really, everyone yeah, away. Kevin Sheedy, uh, Beasley. I'm like you're joking, huh? but you're playing right back. Oh, oh my god, right back. I don't. I'm not right back. I'm not. I'm not a right back, Steve. But I have a go. this i have, listen, I play anywhere for you to get an opportunity. So I Remember playing at right back, and um, I did alright. I did okay, but uh, yeah, it certainly wasn't my position. I think he knew that. I can't remember what the scoreline was over two legs. We got beat there anyway, but. Uh, but it was a great experience at Goodison Park, and then on the Saturday we had Charlton and uh, I made my debut in midfield and um, home day and we, we won two 0 and I scored. So it was uh, it was an unbelievable week for me, um, something I'll never forget.
1: What was your specialism on the the building site what What were you what were you doing? And is it true that when you joined Watford, you're actually effectively taking a pay cut? Because the wages you were getting building and playing for Redbridge Forest were more than Watford were paying you. I've read that, but is that true?
2: Yeah, that is true. Yeah, that is hundred percent true. You know, and that uh, that was I was you know a plaster, so I was uh, basically at the time the money was my o- money was okay. Well, you know, you're still earning money from from, from Redbridge, and plus you, you work, but as the two combined. I actually was taking a wage cut to go to, to Watford, but that wasn't a problem to me. It wasn't about the money; it was about having the opportunity to become a professional footballer. Um, and, and I always use this example now to, to younger players that you know, you do well, the money takes care of itself. And I did take a wage cut, but it was worth it because I had an opportunity to go in and do something I've always wanted to do. Knowing if it didn't work out, I'll just go back to back to the plastering and and, and, and see what happens from there. So. That was true and uh you know it was, a, it was the best decision i made
1: i was going to feel sorry for you but being a plasterer in the late 80s early 90s that was the loads of money era wasn't it you must have been coining it in <laughs>
2: no
1: it wasn't to be fair. not
2: when i first started out it was uh, yes you're certainly right it did get better but at the time um the company i was working for they weren't paying that type of money but <laughs> um but you're right you, you could earn decent money in the end and i i would have i would have gone on to, to, um probably if i have stayed in it uh, you know i'll look at it now probably a little bit of, of, of my own business type of thing but theres no regrets on that it was, you know i've been a fantastic time as, as a player and a obviously a manager and a coach so um you know it's um it's been a, it's been a wonderful time for me
1: can you still do a wall or a ceiling if you had to yeah i
2: could yeah of course no you know it's, it, I could but uh, uh, but it's, it's funny because over, over the years that um you know had different hours had to have work done and I've, I've always paid someone to do it. So you can imagine the wife giving me grief about that. Oh, hang on a minute, you, you can still do that, you can do tiling, you can do... Yeah, I know, but I've just not got the time, love, you know, so was, uh, I've got lots of uh, lots of stick about that. But I've had, I've had people ask me, they've always, always said to me, so you used to do plastering, did you? I went, yeah, yeah, no problem. Can you... Mm, no, and I have done some work. For people, and that's, that's even got the wives back up even more. Where I've got to done it for them, and not for ourselves. So,
1: You mentioned a few of the players when you joined Watford. I'd throw another couple in. I mean, Luther Blissett was there as well, Wat- Watford Hero. I mean, it was a funny old era, though, that between the two Graham Taylor is of course yeah. um, the the club was owned at that time by Jack Pechy and yeah, Steve yeah. Steve Perryman I mean he didn't have a lot to work with money wise I guess yeah. that's why they were looking around for yeah. to take somebody out of non-league yeah, um, yeah. but uh, what was the club like when you got there and, and what were what was the Steve Perryman Peter Taylor double act like? Oh, it
2: was a fantastic club when I went there straight away for me it was because it was it, firstly it's obviously um, a professional club, you know, a big club. Um, and as you say, when you, the, when I first went there, the likes of Luther wasn't there, but Luther did come. He came back, Luther So uh, to actually be in the same dressing room with someone like Luther Bliss, it was 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 phenomenal. And uh, but even the likes of you know, like uh, the ones I've said, the, the Gibbos, uh, the Gary Porters, uh, Joe McLaughlin's, and you know, Nico and Putters and all them lads, it was you sort of in awe of them type of people. But you know, just the stadium itself for me it was like this is what I'd change. What, what, you know? it was an exciting time and uh, under Steve. That you know, I've seen Steve play quite a lot as, at Tottenham as, as a player. He was a, he was a legend there, and um, you sort of um, try and learn quite a lot of things off of him. And when he talked and the way he wanted you to to play, he, uh, he wanted to get on that pitch as quick as you could because he, he he his motivation skills were fantastic and. Uh, you know, he told you how it was, he was, he was honest. Um, you know, If you weren't doing it, he'd tell you. And, you, and he knew the, the characters he was working with himself. I, I remember one game that I've come in, I can't remember who he was playing, but he came in at half time and I probably knew I wasn't doing it. He made sure I knew I wasn't doing it by telling me. In the second half, I went out there and it, I, I was phenomenal in terms. So sometimes you, you need you need that kick up the backside, some players don't. Uh, I was one of these players that I would respond to a kick up the backside, side and uh, he certainly as I say he, um, the standards he set I enjoyed playing under them standards because and that was me you know you train train as you play type of thing um, he, he, it's funny one story we um, he said I couldn't tackle he said oh, my tackling wasn't particularly good so we finished training one day and the lads are all there and he, 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 he was on to me all about this tackling. You can't tackle. You give fouls away. You can't do this. I need to teach you how to tackle. And so one day we'd finish training. He, he said, "Right, we, we, me and you're going to have a face-off. Basically, a tackle. I'm going to show you how to tackle." Like, okay, gaffer. Put the, put the ball down. He put the ball down. I walk one way. He walked the other way. He said, "Then when when we turn, we come. We tackle each other." So I'm he's the gaffer. So you know I've got to do it right. So I went my way, he went his way. We came together, arm, eyes focused on the ball. He went completely over the top of the ball. <laughs> and, and actually, he didn't do too much damage, but he did hurt at the time. He just stood over me and said, that's how to tackle. So I, I remembered that. And um, it was funny because we had a training game and Steve used to join in sometimes. Peter used to join in like they did. and uh, So we are having a training game and Steve playing against me. Um, and I still tell his story now Trevor Putney does he he, was, he wasn't playing he was he was sitting on the uh, sidelines. I think he was being injured and he was watching the game the ball was played to the gaffer and there was there was my chance so the ball was out I basically went for it missed completely missed the ball took the gaffer out flying up air on the floor and just stood over him I how to tackle gaffer and he just smiled at me <laughs> <laughs> so it's a lovely story but um the one I'll never forget, but you know, he he made me a better player, you know, and uh, you know, I thank him for that.
1: What was he getting at there then? Was it was he was he trying to give you that professional edge? I mean, that's the you know what was it that he was that he was trying to get he across to, get to
2: you? Yeah, a bit more. I think a little bit more, being a little bit a little nastier because you know you, you this league, the league at the time, you're gonna you're gonna come up people that are not gonna, they're not gonna mess around. I've come out in non-league, which is a physical league anyway, but. You know, he, he said you could. The time, at times, the timing. Get your timing right. Yeah, you're going to fail sometimes. You've got to be cute how you tackle type of thing, and uh, you know, and you'll get that as you go along. So I think he was just trying to get it out that you you can win more tackles, the timing of it, and uh, and you've got to foul at sometimes. You've got to be clever enough to to take a take one for the team type of thing, and I think that's what he, he he taught me. And he was good at that for Tottenham. You know, he he knew what he was doing. He was tackling. So yeah, I took a lot out of that. And. Uh, yeah, that was a big part of my game, really. I felt you know just getting around the pitch and um, box to box. Maybe not as effective with the football, but if you're not as effective with the football, be be effective without the football. And I think probably that's what I might be doing myself a bit disservice. But people say that that's you know, that's how I made a career. But you know i probably and probably did so.
1: What was the step up like because you're obviously a fit player I mean you were, your your game was all about running you said box to box there um, but in terms of the sort of technical uh, aspects of the game or or just the way it was played I mean were there, were there any things that, that caught you by surprise when you made the move up uh,
2: not really I think uh, like I said the tempo I knew that the tempo would be would be a lot higher be I mean, because I played like you just said there I played a, a, uh, as a player, as a high tempo player, I, di- I didn't find that hard to adjust to. I think it was just the quality of players. The, bo- the ball moved quicker than from when you're playing non-league. It's um, it's spent more time out of play than in play. You'll find that the opposition at times keep the ball longer than you did when you're playing against in, in your non-league days. But and, and, and as, as ourselves, we you know you players as I say you playing with better players that were, were, were comfortable on the football and uh, I think that was just the biggest change for me but the you know the tempo was higher, but that didn't really catch me by surprise
1: You've been at Watford just over a year when the League Cup draw throws up a home game against Leeds United, who had just won the First Division Championship, yeah. now the Premier League, so they were the champions of England. Eric Cantona was in the team. I think it was his last game before he went to Manchester United. Yeah, um, it you played at Ever, you played at Everton and played the home leg against Everton the previous year when it was was it all new to you. But after a year in the game, at that level, having settled in, I mean that was one of the mo- that was one of the best results of, of the entire time you were at Watford, really, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, no, I still talk about that game now because. Um you know the likes of um, when you when you see talk about Cantona I remember he, he should have scored actually after about five minutes I think he had a great chance he went through and missed um, but you say that team uh, that year they'd, they'd won the, the, the league one and you know nobody really gave us a chance today we'd be playing Leeds but uh, with the players they had in their team Cantona I think uh, McAllister was playing uh, Strachan was playing wasn't he um I think, uh, I think Gary Speed was actually playing in that game as well. Uh, bless him. So um, you know they were a phenomenal side, and um, for us to uh, to actually beat them on the night was was a fantastic occasion. And um, um, I've, I say I've got pictures at home for that. And you know uh, we, I know we won. We won this, the, the second goal was a penalty, wasn't it? Jason Drysdale scored, didn't he? So um, I still got a picture of Trevor Putney on top of my shoulders when when, when we scored. So. But yeah, that's one of my, certainly one of the highlights of, of my time at Watford to pit you against the, the big the big teams in that league and and, and beat them in the cup was phenomenal.
1: I mean, it was one of the last big occasions for the old Vicarage Road terrace as well. It was. Yeah, I mean, every club thinks they've got a special evening atmosphere, but um, that was a. I mean, the the place was absolutely rocking that night, wasn't it? Oh, it was a tremendous atmosphere. You know, and I, you know, I was fortunate. I'd been in. Into the club, as you say, about a year,
2: so I settled in and went good at Goodison Park, which was a, was a really good atmosphere there. But when you're on your home patch and you've got that type of atmosphere, um, there's nothing better, and it drives you on. And, and to be fair, we we were the underdogs, um, and uh, you know, like you say, sometimes them underdogs win, and uh, and we certainly did on the night. And I thought we fairly deserved to win the game over the ninety minutes. and and, and they said that after the game. To be fair, at least they they took it. You know, they've had, had as you say got promoted. But on that night, we were a better team.
1: Steve Perryman left at the end of that season, didn't he? I mean, what was your sense at the time? Were you? Were you just thinking I'm going to enjoy this for as long as I possibly can having come into the game late I mean when a new manager comes in and, and not the one that signed you what what were your what were you thinking at that time
2: yeah I think there's always a little bit of that pinch in there because you just you know you've you've been signed by one manager and now you've got to prove yourself to a new one I'm sure at the time you know the new one which was Glenn Roder wasn't it at the time that Glenn came in he's certainly done his homework on on every individual in the team I'm sure um, but you have got to do that. You have got to show him that um, you know you're good enough to be in his team. And that was the one thing I, I, I you know, the first thing I thought about was that I've, I've worked too hard to get to where I am now. I've now got to prove to, to this manager that I'm good enough to be here. Unfortunately for me, I did that. I played under Glenn, and he changed things around. And it's always difficult because, as you say at the time, I, you know, the finances were quite tight. It was difficult um, with the, with the squad we had. And uh, Glenn came in and and I enjoy I enjoyed playing under Glenn.
1: What were the sort of major differences between Steve Perman and Glenn Roder as as football managers and as man managers as well?
2: I think uh, with Steve he was more up at an atom type of thing he was he, he's in' infi- very enthusiastic coach manager for me he managed like he played and I've taken that a little bit on board myself as as I've gone on my uh, sort of coaching and managing career to try and be. Try not to be anything else than what you was as a player, um, and demand demand that inf- you know that that passion which you, you should have that anyway. But you know on a day-to-day basis, and I'm a big believer that you should come in training the way you train, you, you should take it out on a match day. Um, and when players don't do that, I I pick up on that. But I think Steve was very much like that. Glenn was a little bit more. He took a st- step back. Um, he had Kenny there. Kenny Sanson was, was number two, wasn't he, at the time? And Kenny done quite a bit of coaching, and Glenn was more more as a manager, you know. And whereas Steve was did the both, you know, with with with, um, with Peter. So um, quiet. He was quiet. Glenn He was a quiet man. He didn't he didn't throw the toys out the pram, as they'd say, or throw the cups of tea around. The, he was he was very quiet and reserved, and you know he talked a lot of sense. Um, and uh, as I say, I I had every respect for for Steve as a manager, and I did with with, with Glenn. So, um, and 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 obviously Kenny as well. You know, I got on well with Kenny Sanson
1: It was a difficult year that first one for Glenn, Even though a couple of players had come in, I think Paul Furlong had joined, and uh, you know, it, on the face of it, it looked like the team was being invested in, but there was always this suspicion with the uh, with the owner at the time Jack Petchey that you know there wasn't really a lot of money to spend on players um, I remember the. I don't know whether the players sort of picked up on that, but the game against Grimsby in uh, sort of the springtime, where I think it was a three 0 home defeat, relegation was just on our shoulders, and they tried to sort of storm into the directors' box, and it was wasn't a happy atmosphere for a, for a little while at that time. Is that something you remember, or do do you pick up on that as a player?
2: I, I can't remember too much about that. I do remember the game, but um, I think as a player, it's just you're trying to focus on on what you're doing on the pitch. Uh, but ultimately if you're not getting results then as we all know then you know and things are not looking good um there's, there's you know at times there'd be demonstrations and um so it was a it was a tough time it was a it was a pressure time that uh we' put ourselves in but um i think that as a play you're just trying to fully focus on trying to turn things around and uh and you know you want you wanna you want to make make sure the fans are happy i mean they pay their money you want to what we wanted to turn it around for them because for me personally it was it was a fantastic club and it was probably the first time i've actually gone for anything like that um because over the years obviously coming out of non-league we was pretty much in in the clubs i've been out had been sort of up there pushing for promotion and so this was like a a first time sort of where we was really under pressure and and, and trying to stay up so i I was more focused on on doing that and as as most players would be
1: it went more or less to the wire, but you scored the goal really that kind of secured um, the club status. Uh, it was a game against Portsmouth right at the end of the season, the last home game, I think. Yeah. One nil, and you got the goal. I mean, the nerves must have been jangling a bit around the place at that time.
2: Yeah, again, it's it's a pressurised game, and you know, it, it wasn't a, it was a nervous time. But I think once you get out there, it's, it's a case of that we've got to do something. We got to, we've got to make sure we get a result and. Uh, you know, it's a big fair I remember that goal because it uh, it did bring a lump to my throat when I scored because of the importance of it more than anything. Um, and at the, at the end of the game, it was uh, yeah, it was quite an emotional time to to actually get the goal and. Uh, against Portsmouth and, and secure that status really
1: From what I remember it was a kind of typical Hess and Tyler goal really knocked down and burst through coming in from from deep and, and getting beyond their defence
2: uh, Listen I'd, I'd like to have scored more goals in my career and, you know, and should have probably um, people ask me how many goals and you look at them, not enough as a midfield player I think if I, perhaps if I could have brought more goals to my game then uh, my career might have gone up to the next level who knows but um, you know but uh but the goals I did score, I felt over my over my career, not just uh, in the Watford days, but as I went on to Gillingham days, uh, I did uh, actually was able to score some important goals at in important times. So, um, yeah, it's, it was typical, as you say. I'm not, uh, I never scored too many, but it was a case of, as you say, getting on, getting on the end of it, by bursting through and, and finishing. So,
1: well, if you're going to score them, you might as well score the important ones.
2: Well, exactly. That's right. Yeah, um, as I say, um, not not enough, but you know, you certainly could take that. That uh, they've been they've been critical in certain games.
1: Did you feel Glenn was making some progress because the team really kind of, it developed a bit of a pattern the following season, very good defensively, because Keith Millen, Colin Foster came in, yeah. he managed to pick up some gems for not very much money. I mean, Craig Ramage was cheap really for his yeah. ability. Yeah. Um, what was it like playing in midfield with him? Because, I mean, he could wander off and do his own thing and you, I guess, had to kind of sit and, you know, yeah. mind the shop as as it were.
2: Yeah, no, he used to drive him mad.
1: He Used to drive you mad,
2: Craig. <laughs> I, I, I actually get on really well. But I love him to pieces as as a as a person, you know, but as a player, at times used to drive him mad. But the one thing he could do is he'd, he'd, he'd open the door with just a bit of magic. He just, you know, because people used to look at his, the size of him. He looked a bit overweight, and you know, that's what that's how he was, you know. But with the football, he was phenomenal, and. Uh, he used to say just give me the ball you do the running and it was pretty much that's what i did and trevor Putley used to say that as well i used to he, every time i speak to him now trevor and, and craig will say the same and you used to do my you do do all my running for me i went yeah i know i did i know i did but yeah but give me the ball we do that you do the rest of it so it was uh and craig was like that he was a he was a good character and uh, i think he hated me at times in uh, in training because when we played against each other um, in, just in the small side of games, I would used to kick him because I knew what he could do with a football, and the only way to stop him was kick him. So we had plenty of times we had uh, we had words, but um, yeah, lovely lad. And I've uh, I've actually lost touch with him. I, I, I did speak to him a few years back. Um, we played a couple of charity games and a few stuff for uh, stuff for Watford. But um, he was a talent. He was a talent, and probably a, a bit of a wasted talent. I think personally, I think, uh, and that might be just because of his his. The way he was off the pitch, the way he looked after himself, he could have done that better um, because he had so much ability with the football. I've
1: got to say, he's probably in better shape now than when he was a player. Probably. I've seen him recently.
2: Oh yeah, so you, you say I haven't seen him. So, um, so well, there you go, didn't it? You know. So, um, but he, you know, I, I think he'll say to you if he was sitting in this room now that um, he he probably hasn't got regrets, but. You shouldn't have regrets, but I think deep down he would know that perhaps if he did it a little bit differently, he might have uh, he'd have gone on longer and, and, and probably played at a real, real top level.
1: Around the time of the end of that first season of Glens, Tommy Mooney came in. I'm going to ask the obvious question. I mean, did you did you have any sense then that he was the sort of person that would go on to become a kind of modern Watford hero? I mean, he stayed for a long time and he made himself incredibly popular with the supporters.
2: Yeah, at the time I did it. I think when did we get getting from South End, I think didn't we?
1: He um, didn't get on with Peter Taylor quite as well as you did, I think.
2: No, that's right. Probably well, some people don't. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. Tommy came in, and I knew him from his days at, at the time obviously at South End, and uh, um, I didn't think Tommy at the time when he first came in was going to score the goals that he did. Um, he surprised me. Um, he's a workhorse, wasn't he? You know, the one thing you know about Tommy, he wouldn't give up on anything, and uh, he um, he. You know, he chased everything down. He challenged everything, and uh, but as it went on, he he, he started to. You know, he, he could see he could score, and um, he got better and better. Uh, and even myself at the time, this lad's going to score a lot of goals. And like you say, he went on from there and, uh, and and become you know a bit of a hero for, for for the Watford fans, which which was fantastic for him.
1: Did you kind of identify with that? The the fact that if you put him work supporters will overlook the you know the mistakes or whatever i mean tommy would probably say he wasn't the most gifted forward but he would play anywhere i mean he played a season at, at sort of left center back um, a little bit after your time and similarly you know you, you would buy yourself um, you know uh, credit with the supporters if you made a mistake they knew that you would do everything you could to regain possession or you know make up for any mistakes you made and, and how far that goes with supporters is that something you pass on to people now?
2: 100% 100% I think uh, and, you know, I've got a son in the game who's, who's gone on he's, he's playing at Gillingham at the moment and uh, I've always said that, you know, sometimes you can not have a great day with a football, but if you keep working your socks off and don't give up on things, then the the, the fans appreciate that. And that's for any player, really, you know, the players I'm working with are Eastleigh. You know, I'm expecting them to just go out and work their socks off as supporters. So if it's a bad day with the football, some bad decisions have been made by you, by the team, and we've got beat. But come off that pitch where you know you give everything for the fans, and I think fans appreciate that. And Tommy was, I, I was that type of player. Tommy was definitely that type of player. He, like I say, he he he'd go and play anywhere for you. And um, like I say he, he got his goals. Some of his goals were phenomenal as well, wasn't they? You know, he wasn't. They weren't tapping. They was wonderful strikes he scored and. Uh, um, and I think that's a big thing that I've always passed on that fans appreciate players working their socks off for the shirt, as far as I can see. The best
1: season in terms of league position was that second season at Rhoda was in charge the team finished 7th um, a little bit outside of the playoffs but you know yeah. in the hunt and really looking like a unit looking like a team had been built and put together at that time was was that probably the the most enjoyable time in terms of playing in the team and 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 uh, you know looking up the table rather than down yeah i think so um as much as you know,
2: when i first went it was obviously because it was all new to me it was was you know fantastic and the opportunity to become a professional footballer there's nothing better than being in a team that's um looking up and, and not down and and that year was um was a tremendous year and you just come into training with a lot more confidence. You can't wait for the next game because we were on that decent run. We look they say the unit was good. We call him Foster's this world and Keefe, and Keefe who I still speak to now. They were proper centre halves, you know, they didn't complicate things, they had it, you know, they're both I mean, Colin. Colin was unorthodox at this time, wasn't he? Colin. He just, uh, his, his them long legs. Used to always get there. Some sometimes you think, well, he's he's not going to get there, and all of a sudden the leg will come out, and Colin would be, and then all of a sudden he'll get the ball and start dribbling him out with it. It was, he did he did make me laugh at times and scare me as well. But you know, they had a good partnership then, and uh, you know, it was a good it was a, it was a good feel about the place then, and you know, it was a good time to be there.
1: That's Colin Foster who um, was an unorthodox but very good central defender but not in any way a kind of student of the game. From what I gather, he was one of those people that you know didn't really pay attention to league tables or fixtures or anything else that was going on in football he wasn't I guess a football fan in in a way is that right?
2: He he was a funny guy but in a nice way he just uh he was a quiet guy and and you're right I I don't think he knew who he was playing the week after we played whoever we was playing on Saturday if we had a game Tuesday I don't think he actually knew who he was playing because he didn't really take much notice so that was Colin really uh but he he was a quiet guy got on with his work um Never really see. We got he got angry a few times, but not not very often. He was that type of person. He just, like you say, he was he wasn't a student of the game. He just he was playing football. He just he, that was his job, and he, he just concentrated on his job. He'd, he'd come in, train, go home, and then then the games would come. He play his games, but he'd never talk about. I'm going to go and I'm, oh, that's on the night. I'm going to watch that game or. He just did his job. That, that's what he was, and uh, he, he was a good character. And as I say, he was um, a top, top guy. Uh, he, he, I don't know where he is now, Colin. I don't know what he's doing, but I, I know he, he used to live in Bromley, so he wasn't. At times, I, I travelled in with him, so uh, um, he was. Uh, he was sort of my sort of neck of the woods. So he was. He was a good guy.
1: Probably the team was just a goal scorer away from maybe getting into the playoffs. Um, quite a bit of money. Glem was able to spend on Jamie Morley, who, on the face of it, looked like a great signing. But can you remember much about Jamie? And um, did you did you kind of feel sorry for him that it didn't work out? And and can you put your finger on why it didn't work out for him?
2: No, I'm not sure. I mean, again, Jamie's somebody I've bumped into over the years. Now he's doing uh, he's still in football as a football agent. I think he's doing quite well. And I don't know why. Because yeah, when we bought Jamie in, obviously it was it was a it was a sort of big fish type of thing. He was going to score goals. He He'd scored goals at Mill hadn't he? And uh, you know, I think it was um, it was something that um, we was excited by. But uh, I just I, it just didn't work out for him. He, he had a little bit of a film star lifestyle I think he was at the time with the the the, the girl that was Daniel at
1: Daniella Westbrook, Westbrook was in East with his girlfriend. I, I remember he used to bring his greyhound in to um yeah. on match days and the Greyhound would be up in the players bar, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's
2: right, yeah. So <laughs> he had that lifestyle Jane but um as you say Daniela Westbrook he was with her but on the pitch it just didn't work out for him. You know, he had the odd good game and it, but it didn't just didn't work out for him and it was it was unfortunate because he come with a with a with, a, with a, that tag of he's gonna get us the goals type of thing.
1: A bit later in the season Possibly if Kevin Phillips had been eighteen months older and uh, discovered a, a a year earlier he could have been the answer. what was your first impressions of him when he turned up uh, you know a, a kid out of non league you know younger yeah. younger than you'd been but but did you sort of you know recognize a little bit in in terms of the journey he'd been on to get there
2: yeah it, it was funny with the, with the kev one when he came first came in it was you know obviously coming out of non league it was a case of um yeah I just felt that maybe I should put my sort of thoughts to him because of where I've come from um, and give him my experiences so we actually become quite friendly uh, over the years and uh, over the time the first few months that he came and I remember we went to um, it was actually a sad time very sad time because we went to at the end of the season we went to Portugal uh, at Jack Petchy's place in Portugal as a team and Kev you know Kev hadn't been at the club too long and we went off to, to Portugal, and I'm not sure how long we were there for, but he had some bad news. He had a call from from um, his family that his dad had passed away. Um, and it sort of hit home for me because when I first turned professional at, uh, at Watford, my mum passed away suddenly as well at, uh, at the age of 54. And um, it was just a sudden thing. She hadn't been ill, and she, she was diabetic, and uh, but she had that under, under control. And dad had the, had the flu that week and I, I got home from training I'd trying to be old my dad was trying to get hold of me and uh, unfortunately me uh, my dad said me your mum's passed away so it was a it was a it was a, a real tough time for me and and that happened to Kev um and you know he's his dad had always like my father always wanted to see me become a professional footballer my mum never saw me play but obviously I turned professional so she was over the moon with that and yeah, it was the same for Kev so it was a real big shock he had to be flown back to, to England you know we try to consult, obviously be there for him and do what we could so tremendous lad I'm actually over the moon that he's, he's gone on and done what he's done in his footballing career because he's been he's been phenomenal but it was it was a tough time for him because he just he got where he wanted to be in terms of coming out coming out of uh, non-league which was I think it was Bulldog wasn't it? Bulldog Town I remember us signing him Glenn signed what, you know, what a tremendous signing he's you know, he's come out in the league and I'm, I'm, I'm just seeing the pictures myself, you know, now that when he first came in and and then when it happened, it was, it was just a crazy time for him and, we, you know, a sad time for him. But I'm, I'm really pleased that he's gone on and, and, and shown his dad, basically, that uh, I'm sure he's proud of him.
1: In terms of how the team did the following season with Glenn, I mean, it, it unraveled and he couldn't quite put it back together, could he? Um, no. What What do you think, I mean, I don't want to say it was just down to your injury, but you got injured, a couple of other people got injured and missed sort of three, four months of the season and uh, the, t- the team was never really settled. It was, there was an awful lot of, you know, changes all, all around the team um, and, and the unit of the previous year, it just couldn't keep on the pitch.
2: No, that's right. I mean, that's probably my worst year for injuries for I picked up. And, uh, you know, like you say, it went right through the dressing room. And, and I think that just goes, that just that happens in football. Unfortunately, I think it does affect you. You know, you, like you said, you, the year before, we had that solid unit. We pretty much had everybody fit. Um, we, you know, and when you start losing players on, on a consistent basis, it disrupt does disrupt things. And, if the money's tight if you can't add to the squad you know it's difficult to it always becomes difficult and i think that was the catalyst of our problem that it was a disjointed whereas the year before it just had that consistency i think the team at times picked itself um whereas you know that, that that next year was was a lot harder and uh like you said it become disjointed
1: what was it like when they appointed graham taylor to do well to try and and, and pull off the escape act. It didn't quite work. But what was it like when Graham arrived? Well,
2: obviously I was quite in awe of Graham because obviously he was an absolute Watford legend. And uh, you know, to, to be fair, I never thought I'd work with him. Um, I, I suppose I did, just didn't think he would come back to, to Watford. But uh, probably a little bit naive there because um, you know, if there was an opportunity to bring Graham Taylor back to Watford, I think he'd, he'd be the first person they'd, 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 they'd turn to. And, and that's what they did. And. Uh, you know, again, it was um, he was a disciplinarian. He, you know, he was he was he was again different to, to to Steve, different to Glenn. Again, I was a little bit of an of him because of who he was. You know, and you had to get used to the way he did things. If anyone was going to turn it around, it was going to be Graham Taylor. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that that way. Is, it was hard for him because he was inheriting what he was inheriting, uh, and uh, but it was good. You know, it was, I didn't I only spent a short time with him, but. It was it was great to work with him. You know, again, I tell stories about um, we talk about players that are injured at football clubs, and uh, you know, are they any use to you? No, not really, not as a manager, you know. And uh, I was injured, like I in had a tough year, did not I have injuries and I was injured? And um, I remember walking down the corridor at, at the ground, and he walked straight past me, did him say hello, and I realised what that was because I'm injured. If I'm fit, I would have say hello? How are you? But not great. I mean, he just sort of he wasn't interested in the players that was injured. They're no good to him, and i completely make him right you know if you if you're if you're injured you're no good to Graham Taylor on the pitch and and i sort of bought into that a little bit i even think about that myself i i don't do that to my players but you know i can see why he did it
1: he used to say that he wanted being injured to be as tough and miserable as possible yeah. so that people worked and, and got themselves fit as as um, quickly as they could i guess
2: yeah i agree and i think that's it's first football in general now you know um you can't you can't you can't make it easy for players that are injured. It's, it can't be a nice place to be. You want to get out there as quick as out of that out of that room as quick as you can. And if you're going to make it a nice place to be, then uh, you know it's too easy for players and they spend too much time in the, in the treatment room. And mentally, I think it can it's the wrong thing. So I think if you can make it a little bit make it hard, then you know if I'm a player, I don't want to be in there. I want to be back, be, you know, be back out playing and getting on that pitch for for the manager. And I think that's what Graham did.
1: Do you think he rated you as a player? Because I know he wanted to keep you. I think he—correct me if I'm wrong—but he didn't quite like the travelling you were doing all the way around the M25. He had this rule about everyone living within a certain distance, and you either didn't want to move or. It, uh, talk me through what happened at the end of that season.
2: Yeah, no, it was, it was, I was probably a, again probably a little bit hasty at the time, but you know, Graham was a new manager to me. I'd been the I'd been captain of, of the team. And you know, I loved every minute of it. I said people talk to me about, oh, I've, I left bit because of the money. Well, it wasn't that. It was, it was. I was made an offer by the club, by Watford at the time. Uh, all of a sudden, I got myself an agent, which was Billy Jennings, the ex-West Ham player. He was an agent, Bill, and,
1: and Watford player.
2: And a Watford player, yeah. So Bill knew, you know. So I, I, I,
1: Graham didn't like agents much.
2: <laughs> no, I'm sure. And that, again, they are a problem, but they're in the game now, aren't they? They are what they are, but. um you know was it the right thing to do well I'd, I'd come out of non-league and I didn't know anything different and I'd done it my own way and you know but I just felt you know I'd had a, I had a good time there and you know I felt as if I repaid uh, what was paid for me in terms of I think it was 85 grand that they paid for me and I, and I knew at the time you know players get to know what each other' wages are it happens but not you shouldn't be worried about what if someone's earning more than you. That's 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 the deal that's been given to them, and that's fine. But I thought I've just felt I, I needed an increase on what what I was being offered when I saw the offer. I I can remember it now. I, I didn't have my agent in with me. I had a meet with Graham. He said to me, "This is you know we want want you to stay. This is um, this is what we're going to offer you. Take it away. Have a look. Speak to your agent." And I just, I don't know why, but at the time I just thought, I'll have a look now, I'd rather have a look now, you know, you know if it's right then we'll do it. I looked at it and it just wasn't right for, at the time straight away I didn't feel it was right for me and I just slid the bit of paper back to him, which is a little bit, again, a little bit hasty, perhaps I shouldn't have done that.
1: I was going to say brave.
2: Brave, yeah, maybe a bit brave with Graham, but, you know, I did what I did. And, and then he just said, look, you know, okay, we didn't need to say speak to your agent. You know, maybe we can get somewhere. And things move really quickly. I got phone because I was obviously out of contract. I got phone calls from a few clubs. I was going to Chelten. Chelten at the time was uh Steve Gritt and Alan Kirbishley as joint managers. Keith Peacock was working at the club as well. He was doing the sort of in between stuff type of thing, director football, whatever he was at the time. Phone call from Keith. Look, we we're really interested you know, I'm 30 years old we, we'd like to take you if we can do a deal so that was at the end of the season the summer went on uh, as far as I, I was concerned I was uh, I was going back to, to Watford and, and, and see what happens from there and then I had a phone call from Gillingham uh, who came in for me as well so I had the two going at the time and then uh, the, the children one fell through because they decided it would go to tribunal and they didn't they were worried about paying a too big a fee for a 30 year old which I can I can see that and at the time you know, you're 30 years old
1: and you should have the, told them you yeah. were going to go on and play so, 300 games yeah, exactly yeah that's
2: <laughs> what yeah, exactly. That's what I thought about that but um, to be fair I, I, I speak to Keith Peacock quite a lot um, I play in quite a, a few of his charity golf days Keith and I've seen him at Charlton a lot and he actually said that he said we should have done it it would have been worth the money but um, obviously they didn't do it and then and in the end I had the opportunity to go to Gillingham uh, which is obviously my hometown club and uh, Tony Pulis uh, went and spoke to him and basically I did, went there as pre, in pre-season still a Watford player because that's how it works you know my only training kit was at the ground at Watford waiting for me when if I if I came back and uh, because in the day it had to come down to, to the tribunal so I did all pre-season with Gillingham and uh, I remember it, and then the day of the tribunal we'd been in Ch- at Cheltenham pre-season and uh, uh, university you know working really hard and I had to go to the tribunal with, with uh, Tony Pulis and the assistant Lindsay Parsons I remember walking in and Sam Allardyce was on the on the panel at the time and it came out of the tribunal and they set it at uh, I think it was 235,000 in the end I think that's where it came to and uh, Tony Pulis went I'm not sure if we can do that I don't think the chairman's gonna Mr Scully's not gonna do that for oh my god I've done all preseason I'm gonna have to go back to Watford and they've done pretty much pre-season how am i going to feel and is it going to be type of thing and he spoke to chairman in the car Chairman said i can't pay that can't pay that so tony said look we want him we want it we certainly want him um if you can get to it, chairman you know we, we want to take him um and he told me he just said look just leave it with me see what we can do i went away getting ready to go back to watford in the next day Got a phone call from Tony to say chair, the chairman's going to push the boat out type of thing, <laughs> which even he, even he was surprised, and um, and and that was it really. Um, so that, you know, they they uh, they paid Watford the money. And I think Watford did all right out of it. To be fair, they paid eighty five grand me and then and got two hundred thirty five thousand. But in hindsight, was a bit. Listen, I had a great time at chilling It was a, it, it worked out really well for me. But it was a little bit of me wishing perhaps I had not done that across the table and. Gone away, and who knows where that had taken me uh, in terms of, uh, uh, of being a Watford player, and, and how long I would have stayed there. So there's a little bit of that in me because uh, I had a fantastic time there. The, the fans were great. I know it was a little bit, you know, as if I went to Gillingham for the money. It weren't about that because the money was the money was the same, but it was obviously cheaper for me because I didn't have to travel. It was on my doorstep. So you know, the money was there it, it was there it was not any any substantial increase for me. I suppose the lure of your hometown
1: club was good. The fans gave you a bit of stick when Watford played Gillingham, didn't they? Did that? Did that hurt a bit, or did you understand that? I mean, yeah, it's an easy one, I guess. Really, that that, that yeah, they it, could throw yeah. at you. It didn't really hurt so much. I, I did understand it, to be fair.
2: Um, and that's probably where it hit home. Perhaps you know, at the time, I was a little bit, bit hasty in what I did, but because I had you know, I laid a lot of time for the Watford fans and. I I I'll, I'll speak to Watford fans now to do a bump into people and that, and they're great with me. I think you know I think they realised it wasn't about the money. It was it was it was an opportunity to get back to to to, to my hometown club, but they probably looked at it. Gillingham Watford were well, Watford a bigger club, you know, and you've left a bigger club, and that's probably what um, more than probably hurt them and, and probably hurt me really, you know. But. I can't look back at that I had a great time at Watford and and, and fortunately for me I had a a fantastic time at Gillingham as well
1: Just uh, lastly I mean did you you think that that Watford would I mean it took them a little bit of time to get out of that division again a lot of the lads that won promotion in the end were people you would have known I mean Paul Robinson would have been just coming through the youth system then Richard Johnson you'd played in midfield with I mean he had a you know Glenn Roder he had a very good year that year. That the club finished seventh, but mm. but somehow he stepped on another level and became. I mean, he was at one point an, an ace away from joining Leeds United or you know um, yeah. go, going somewhere somewhere really big. I mean, what was he like as a player to play alongside? Uh,
2: Jono, yeah, he was great. Jono obviously an Australian boy, wasn't he? You know, and uh, he uh, again, I st- I keep in contact with Jono, and My wife does as well through the face Facebook and stuff like that. And. He was a warrior, wasn't he, Johnny? He, again, I, I, he reminded me a little bit of me in terms of he was better. He, he could shoot, though. To be fair, Johnny, you know, he could have a, he could strike a ball at a goal, couldn't he? Um, much better than I could. But he was a warrior, you know. He 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 I, I, you know, even in training, he'd never pull out of anything. And uh, if he got cut or if he got a, a bad injury, he'd get up and get on with it. And he was one of those players that I love working with. To be fair, he's that wholehearted player and. Uh, as you say he was very close to going on to bigger and better things and uh, picked up a few injuries didn't he himself unfortunately but a great lad to work with. And
1: lastly then what was the secret of playing on until I think 44 your last senior game? You were 44 years old last um, you yeah. know what counts as a kind of first-class senior yeah. game? Yeah.
2: Again I think it goes back to that original uh, conversation we had about the um, getting that opportunity at a later stage of my career. Um, 26 and actually appreciating what I've got, and I didn't want to lose it. Um, And I just, I did everything to be able to play as long as I could. And uh, I think that obviously that upbringing of non-league, you know, I read Ian Ian Wright's book. He came out of non-league Greenwich Borough, and you just appreciate so much what you've got. Um, The fitness levels were, I think, doing what I did at a younger age helped because I was so determined to be a pro. I used to just do extra work. I was running on road, so would say, don't do that now, because you know, because of your, your knees and your joints. But touched with my knees, and that had been okay. So I've, I've got away with that one a little bit. But I think it was just putting that extra work and dedication into playing as long as you can, and a little bit of luck. I didn't have too many bad injuries. Uh, I certainly didn't have too many at Watford, and, and I didn't have many at Chillingham. So um, I had a little bit of luck on the injury front, and um, just that determination and keeping them fitness levels up, and look after my body not certainly not drinking I drink more now though I've got to say that's the job though so yeah I think it was all that type of you know that the appreciation of of what I've got I want to keep it for as long as I can
1: well I guess you've got to do something to absorb the the bad results when they come along you know a glass of red yeah, wine or yeah, something yeah
2: definitely oh yeah too much of that at times but uh, you know, I've got a few grey hairs as well, and uh, but, but I've still got all my hair. But
1: uh, <laughs> well, I was going to say, you're you're director of football. You better be careful. <laughs> walked in, yeah, so it's not a problem. Just lastly, could you say, have you taken anything from Steve Perryman, Glen Rhoda, Graham Taylor that you've kind of you know, put into your melting pot of, of being Andy Hessenthaler the manager?
2: Yeah, I think I've t- taken bits out of everybody.
1: Really, I mean there's a lot of
2: honesty out of all three of those managers. You know. Um, and I think uh, as a player, you just um, you want your manager, you know, your coach to be honest with you. And you know, I, I certainly am. You know, if I I don't just if 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 I pick a team and, and leave a player out, I, I you don't just leave them because that's bad man management. You sit down and explain to them. And I, and, and Steve did that. Glen did it. And Graham did all of that. You know, um, certainly with Steve, I took I take out the passion of you know the passion that he showed as a manager. And the calmness at times where you can fly off the handle, but the calmness of, of Graham and, and, and Glenn, very they were, they were calm. Do you get anywhere by throwing cups of tea around and you know, making yourself look silly? I mean, they, they, they were very much and very constructive in what they uh, was, was trying to put across. And yes, they did. They, um, you know, Graham threw the toys out now and out again, and so did Glenn, but in the, in the right way. You know? So I think
1: I've picked up on all three of those as managers. Do you get chance to go back very often? I mean, w- what do you think of the club as, as it is now?
2: Well, it's fantastic now. I mean, obviously, it's been taken over and they've pushed on, and um, a, it, the foreign element of, of the Premier League is very high, isn't it? So, um, I haven't been back for a while. I've certainly been invited back a few times for games. Unfortunately for me, it's fallen on days that I've been working, but I've been invited back a few times, and I'd love to get back at some stage. Uh, if it's not, certainly not this season, it'll be next season to. To, to take a, a first-team game in and, and see what the atmosphere
1: is like nowadays. Well, I'm pretty sure they've stopped chanting short, greedy. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. I'm sure. They've forgotten about me now. They probably won't recognise me no more anyway, so, so I can get away with
1: it. <laughs> well, it would have helped if you'd stopped coming back to Vickers Road with Gillingham and beating them.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, well, that didn't really help too much. To be fair, they were good, though. Uh, I, got, I remember the game that I got the shirt presented to me, didn't I? For the Gillingham shirt, the, the 500, uh, which was nice. And to be fair, the fans were very good that night. Cheers,
1: Andy, thank oh, you very nice much. Man,
2: mate. Thank you. Thanks very much.
0: Cheers. Andy, I think because he wasn't around the club that much, I don't think he's necessarily been uh, had a chapter in one of the, uh, the Tales from the Vicarage books or or anything like that. He, he, I remember, you know, I was a, a teenager when he played, and like I say, it wasn't a great time. But hearing from him and, and you get that insight and that I, you know what his time was like at Watford. Especially that, that the, the, my favourite thing was actually about when he turned up and and when he came in and how he felt coming in that wasn't in the Graham Taylor era but it still seemed to have that that sort of baseline of Watford of of what we want Watford to be like Bear in mind he was making
1: quite a step up not many players have made that step up in one go I'm struggling to think of of many equivalents certainly to become such a key part of the team but you're right I mean he, he was a he was a real bargain basement signing and, and at that time you know the club was owned by Jack Petchy there was not a lot of money spent on the team it was run as a business to not lose money um, and so there wasn't the, the funds to go spending in the transfer market and players either had to be well players had to be reliable whether they were cheap or or expensive uh, and Hessentiler was both cheap and reliable I mean the ideal signing really for for any manager at that level
0: So that's our Catching Up with Andy Hessentiler and you never know we might catch up with him again uh, in in a later podcast Um, Next though on our next episode of Catching Up With we speak with a former Watford manager Aidy Boothroyd
2: You, you, you You have to make decisions I made a decision I thought it was a good one and he didn't score as many goals as, as what I would have hoped him to.
0: You'll hear from Adie in the next Catching Up With in a Month's Time. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Lionel. Thank you, John. Uh, and remember, you can subscribe via From the Rooker End, iTunes or the podcast app of your choice.